Anybody remember Peter? Peter the Apostle, the guy that Jesus, uh, he says, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus tells him, God has revealed that to you. And that's what we're going to build the church on. The truth of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Next thing Peter says is, <clears throat> Jesus says, now, now we're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And Peter says, no, 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 no. And that's not going to happen. And what does Jesus tell him? Get behind me, Satan. So one minute he's telling Peter, you have got a revelation from God. The next minute he's calling him Satan. <laughs> this is the same man. Jesus said, he said, I'll go with you to the death, Peter said. And Jesus tells him, really? Tonight, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny, deny me three times. And Jesus says, oh, I'll never do that, Peter says. Next thing you know, there's Peter and Bible says that he looks and Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And Peter is struck by remembering what Jesus told him. The Bible says he goes outside and weeps bitterly. This is the same man that ran to the tomb with John on the day of resurrection. That tomb is empty, but they didn't believe that Jesus was arisen from the dead. This is the same man who got up on the day of Pentecost and preached, and 3,000 people got saved that day. This is the same man that wrote this letter. And this letter is addressed to believers everywhere. Praise God. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have revealed to us who you are, Lord Jesus what you've done for us. And I pray, God, for your help this morning as we listen to your word. Teach us in Jesus' name. Oh, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> All right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. We actually have to back up just a little bit. Because he's got this little word here, so. In the King James, it says, wherefore, or therefore. And so you want to find out, why is it wherefore, and why is it there? What's it there for? Why do we put away all these things? Because in chapter 1, verse 22 through 23, he says, and I'll paraphrase a little bit, your souls have been purified by obedience to the truth. For sincere brotherly love and love for one another from a pure heart. How many believe that you now have a pure heart? Say it with me. I have a pure heart. That's what God has done for you and I when we received Jesus. And... Verse 23, since you have born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God, this word that was preached to you is the good news. And the good news is that God provided himself for a way to save us. He promised to put a new heart in us. He promised to put his laws in our hearts. And that's exactly what he's done, whether it looks like it or not. Can you say amen? amen? What's interesting is that this 
in verse 22, he uses the word love twice, but it's two different words in the Greek. The first one, brotherly love, is... Anybody know the name of the city in Pennsylvania? Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. The city of brotherly love. Founded by the Quakers. They were Christians. They supposedly still are. I believe they are. But the Quakers founded Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The other love, where Paul tells us to love one another earnestly, is a different type of love. And it is a love which counts no sacrifice for somebody else. I'll say that again. The love of God counts no sacrifice too great for others. Not only that, Paul or Peter writes and says that we're to love one another earnestly with that love that counts no sacrifice too great, constantly and intensely. How many know that without God's help, that's exhausting? Can't do it. We need genuine Holy Spirit, miraculous intervention in our lives to be able to love people constantly and intensely and to be able to count no sacrifice too great. I can't do that myself. I need God's help. Can you say amen? amen? So, because of that love, he says, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Not just some of it, but all of it. Well, how do you do that? This letter, like I said, is written only to Christians. People that are not saved cannot do this. They cannot put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. If you've uh, ever been around the people at work that aren't saved, you'll hear them slandering others, otherwise known as backbiting, also called gossip. Christians don't do that, though. People that aren't saved can't do these things. They can't stop slandering people. They can't stop being false with people. They can't stop hiding what they really are. It's kind of pretty obvious. I'm working at the University of Arizona, and uh, I, these, I've got this young guy working with me, and thank God we're inside of a building where there's hardly anybody around. They were working at another building uh, that was open, and him and the other young guys, I couldn't believe that these guys were, it's sad to watch them. Anytime uh, the students were walking by, they all had to stop and stare. I'm like, dude, you can't stare. You're not allowed to stare here at the university. You're going to get in trouble. They can't stop. Praise God. These is a list of what's known as vices. They can't hide what they really are like. Paul says to put them away. And the image is of taking off a garment and laying it aside. That's the picture in your mind. You take, since we're born again, we take off these things and set them aside and not supposed to pick them up. But how do you do that? You can't do that unless you're born again. You can do that through the continual renewal of the inward man. When we became born again, 
God put something inside of us. We've been reborn. The technical term is regenerated. That's why Paul on the day of Pentecost, he told the people, save yourselves from this unregenerate generation or this untoward generation in the King James. And that literally means it's a mining term which means a precious uh, ore or an ore where it's difficult to extract the precious commodity. An untoward generation. Unless a person is born again, they cannot do those things. They can't put these things aside. But when we became born again, God put something inside of us. We have been reborn. That's why he calls them, calls us newborn infants. When you get born again, you become a brand new person in the eyes of God. Not only that, we, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, uh, Paul writes, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. I'm going to know our former manner of life before we got saved is corrupt. There's nothing worse, I think, than corrupt uh, leaders. We had one in uh, the organization I'm in, and uh, he got found out and he got booted out. He was corrupt. Thank God that they found him out and got him out because he was <clears throat> taking stuff that didn't belong to him, money. And we got him out, and now we have uh, better leadership. In any event, put off your former manner of life, which is corrupt, through the deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Our new nature has been created or recreated in the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. You are holy. Believe it or not. You are holy. Amen. Say it with me. I, I am, am holy. holy. That doesn't mean that we're better than people. It just means that God... Put something inside of us that's pleasing to Him. We have been recreated in true righteousness and holiness. God has made us holy. To me, that's awesome. Hallelujah. Not only that, there's another verse here. I can't remember what I did with it. Oh, well, I have a note here. The Continuing renewal of the inner man. How do we continually renew the inner person? It's not automatic. You have to put a little bit of effort into it. We have a responsibility once we begin born again. We have a responsibility to continue in living for God and seeking out God's power and presence in our lives. We do. The Bible says daily we renew our minds. How do you do that? You have one of these, you open it up, and you read it. And what happens? You get God's perspective on things. People that think that sin is an old-fashioned sentiment should read the book of Leviticus and say, these are the laws of These things make you unclean before God. Take some time and read it sometime. It'll blow your mind. So, oh, I didn't know that. Well, find it out. <laughs> Ignorance is no excuse. 
of the law. You can't tell the cop pulls you over and he says, oh, officer, I didn't know. And he says, well, tell it to the judge. And you tell the judge that the judge, she tells, I didn't know, judge. I said, well, that's no excuse. You broke the law, blah, blah, blah. Here's the penalty. Hallelujah. Malice. What is malice? Evil of all kinds. According to Webster's Dictionary, it is a disposition to injure others with or without cause. Another um, uh, definition of malice is revenge. Anybody ever want to get revenge on somebody? If you're familiar with the Princess Bride, the uh, one Indigo Montoya, he spends uh, almost his whole life in the revenge business. Finally takes revenge, he says, now I don't know what to do. <laughs> Revenge. The, uh, the story of Ben-Hur was about revenge. Ben-Hur survived in the galleys of the Roman uh, slave ships because he wanted to take revenge. And when the slave ship got crashed and, and everyone got killed except for him and the, uh, the Roman uh, uh, general or whoever he was, uh, he asked him, well, what, how did you survive so long in the galleys? He said, I was looking for revenge. He spoken like a true Roman, and he adopts him <laughs> as his son because he wants revenge. Let revenge be done by God. Can you say amen? God says, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. Just as an aside, the wrath of God is going to be poured out someday. God is going to have to punish those that don't repent. I saw a film just the other day about um, Mahatma Gandhi and how he transformed India and had got the British out of there. And uh, in the process, the, uh, uh, there was all kinds of violence. People were killing each other over it all kinds of crazy things and and so he decides you know what I'm gonna cure this by going on a hunger strike and this man comes up to him and he says the man is distraught he says I'm going to hell because I did this and uh, Mahatma Gandhi tells him in the film well here's what you need to do to get out of that well it's not quite that simple because you can do good works but what really needs to be done is repent and turn to God and accept the sacrifice that Jesus did. Because revenge belongs to God. What about deceit? Excuse me. Remember what Jesus told Nathaniel. He says, ah, calls Nathaniel an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And uh, the opposite of guile Whoops, wrong word. Opposite of deceit and guile is childlike innocence. How I many you know kids will tell you how they feel? They'll, they're honest with you, especially little ones like three and four years old. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> kids should never be bored. <laughs> Praise God. What did Jesus say? Unless you repent and become like a little child, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Unless you be converted and become as little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God expects us to be honest with him. And by putting away deceit, we be honest with others. Hypocrisy is pretending to be what we're not. Envies are hatred of others on account of some excellency which they have or something that they possess which we do not. 
And all of these four things produce slander. Speaking against others. Being unkind. Saying unkind things against others. It's so easy to see people's faults. And it's so irritating to see other people that have the faults you have and see them do what you know they shouldn't be doing and so on and such forth. But Paul or Peter tells us we're supposed to put all those things away. Put them away. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, we're instructed to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. The opposite of all these things is love. These vices, as they are called in the commentary, are hindrances to profiting by the Word of God. God wants us to prosper in the things of God. Can you say amen? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, the writer says that the word that they heard did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. When we trust that this word is from God and these are God's words and we read them, even if you don't understand everything, what you do understand, think about, about these things that you do understand, believe that God gives them to you and that they're for you, you will prosper, you will profit, you will benefit. Anyone that's in business is in business to make a profit. Hallelujah. So how do we do this? How do you get rid of all this stuff? How do you prosper? Becoming like newborn babies long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And we will get to verse 3 in just a moment. How? Continue in there's the image of a new birth. What Peter actually has done here in this chapter, he broke it down into three sections which I forgot in my introduction. <laughs> Praise God. First of all, he exhorts us to lay down this stuff and grow up. And then, he, uh, in verses 4 through 10, he tells us about some privileges that we have. And then in the rest of the chapter, uh, we're going to go up to chapter, uh, verse 12 today, but in the rest of the chapter, verses 11 to 25, Peter uh, puts forth some various duties that are related to the privileges we have by becoming born again. So, we put off all these things, <clears throat> and then desire the pure spiritual milk. So listen carefully. It says, uh, how many have ever heard that law, truth in labeling? You can't put uh, something out for sale in the marketplace uh, and say that this is what's in it, when that's not really what's in it. It's against the law here in this country, especially, to do that. So, the uh, pure unadulterated means, or the pure milk of the spiritual milk means unadulterated. How many know the Word of God is not adulterated? It hasn't been changed over time to fit with society. Some people want us to, we need to update the Bible, you know, because it's out of, out of touch with uh, what society wants. No, society is out of touch with what God wants. Can you say amen? Yeah. You don't need to update the Bible. You need to read it and update your life according to the Bible. Amen. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. 
It means it's genuine. It's used in business documents to guarantee the authenticity and purity of what you got. Hallelujah. Barnes notes it says that which is adapted to sustain the soul. We're talking about nutrition. Many know if you don't eat the right stuff, you're not going to stay healthy. Drink a lot of soda and it's not good for you. Reading the Word of God, the pure spiritual milk, that's what he's talking about is the Word of God. Hallelujah. Because it helps us to grow and he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How many have tasted that the Lord is good? But what does a taste do? You can't survive on just a taste. <laughs> I went and we were at Sam's Club and I had a taste of a hamburger and it had a piece of a bone in it and it broke my tooth and I'm still suffering from it and not fixed yet. The taste didn't do any good. <laughs> I, want, I want more than just a taste of God. Can you say amen? I want a fullness of God. I want a full plate. That's what I want from God is a full plate. Hallelujah. Psalm 34 verse 8 has an exclamation point. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or person who takes refuge in Him with an exclamation point. Taste and see because once you get a taste, uh, it's not enough to satisfy you. You want more and more and more. Hallelujah. Although God has already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it talks about those <clears throat> who have been enlightened. In other words, God has touched them. And they've understood and they've heard and they believed and received from God salvation. They tasted the heavenly gift. What happens when you taste the heavenly gift? It goes on to say you become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it says you tasted the good Word of God. And not only that, but the powers of the age to come. The Bible says that these signs will follow them that believe. They'll take up snakes. They won't get hurt. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick. They will recover. They'll speak in new tongues. Amen. Those are the things that we should be seeing in our lives. <clears throat> but listen to what Matthew Henry says. Even the best of God's servants in this life have only tasted of the consolation of God. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, towards the end it says, all these heroes of faith died without having received the full promise of God. They're waiting for us. That's what the Bible says. They're waiting for us so that we can all join together for the full consolation of God. We only get a taste in this life. But it should motivate us to continue to strive and keep stretching and keep going forward. Don't give up. Praise God. Don't give up. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is some of the privileges that we have as believers. As you come to Him, as you're drawing near by faith, not just a one time, but continually keep going on. Can you say amen? This is the image of stones in a building. Uh, we were in prayer meeting this morning, and uh, uh, Pastor Wayne said that he, he had this uh, image of uh, 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 some type of a monster attacking a wall, hitting against the wall, but the wall stood. So I was explaining that when uh, I worked uh, on the elephant exhibit here in Tucson, we had to uh, make sure that the wall was sturdy. Because they had an elephant, they told me years ago, that broke out. <laughs> you don't want a wild elephant breaking out. They're very dangerous. They're one of the most dangerous animals to keep in captivity. So we built a 12-inch block wall. And normally, uh, you go every four feet, and you put bars up through the wall, and you fill it with uh, grout, and you go every four feet horizontally and fill it with grout. Well, that wall, and normally you just use kind of small half-inch bars. I think we used three-quarter-inch bars. Number, no, they were number five bars, five-eighths. Pretty thick, pretty sturdy, and they've got good strength. And uh, we filled every cell with grout. Not just every four feet, because we don't want that elephant breaking through. They already bent the bars, they told me. <laughs> and the bars are like 12 inches around. <laughs> Elephants are so strong, it's just amazing. But what happens, those bars, they're called cold, rolled, deformed, reinforcing bars. Rebar for short. And they got bumps on them. Those are the deformations. And what happens when you pour concrete or grout with, on those bars and you uh, consolidate the concrete, the concrete or the... the uh, the um, mortar bonds to the rebar and it becomes a single unit. If you've ever been on a bridge and the traffic is stopped and a truck comes by and you feel the bridge bounce, that's because it has concrete and steel together. Without the steel, the concrete would break. Without the concrete, the steel would bend. But when you have the concrete and the steel, it's flexible. It's the strongest building material known to man, according to something I read. <clears throat> this is what the church is. This is what you and I are. We're these living stones put together. And it's not, you, if you just put the stones together, nothing happens. It won't stand. It has to have mortar in between it. It has to have some type of glue to bond it together. And guess what that glue is? To you living stones. It's love. The love of God poured out in our hearts is the glue that bonds us together. That makes us strong as a church. That builds us up. But, the most important thing is the cornerstone. Where it is. The stone of stumbling. The cornerstone. In the old days, they used to have a big ceremony when they laid the cornerstone because the cornerstone was usually had to be a perfect blick, a perfect block, excuse me. And it had to be large enough for them to pull a, line, a string line across that way, that way, and that way, and the whole building 
used the cornerstone to build it straight up and down, plumb, everything in line, and everything horizontally level. Plumb, line, and level. That's our motto when we build stuff. We want it plumb, line, and level. Excuse me. So the, the cornerstone was the most important thing. Now we've got lasers and all that. But before we had lasers, we had strings, and we had plumb bobs, and we had levels, and, and we used the cornerstone. But now we build a little bit differently. So this obviously was written a very long time ago, so we're using the old methods here. All right. Praise God. So the stone that was rejected, we'll go back to verse 5. You have come to him who? Jesus. Amen. We all know that. He is the living stone that was rejected by men. How interesting that Peter, the name Peter means a stone. And Peter wrote this letter. How apropos. God knows what he's doing. Can you say amen? This stone was rejected by men. If it had been accepted, it wouldn't have become the chief cornerstone because because Jesus was rejected by men, they didn't know what they were doing. When they rejected Jesus and had Him crucified because He died and came back to life, He is the living stone. Revelations chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I am He who lives, in other words, in the ESV version, he says, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, Jesus is the spiritual rock. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says in Jacob chapter 49, or not Jacob, Genesis chapter 49, verse 24. Jacob is on his deathbed. He's blessing his 12 sons. He's in Egypt. He tells Joseph, make sure you take my bones back to uh, uh, the promised land because uh, we're all going to go back there eventually. And Jacob is blessing his sons. And when he's talking to Joseph, he mentions the mighty God of Jacob. The mighty God of Jacob. He's saying, Joseph, Boys, I know God. And my God is mighty. If you look in your Bible, it's capital M. The mighty God. My God is mighty, he says. And then he calls the God of Jacob, he calls his God the shepherd, the stone, capital S, of Israel. The stone of Israel. He's the living stone because... When Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say I am? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Simon Peter, whose name means a stone, replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How many know God is not dead? God is a living God. He's the only God that's alive. And so we come to Jesus. He's the living stone. He's chosen by God and precious. And it says that we're like living stones being built up into a building. As a result of us being built up into the spiritual house, we are a holy priesthood. And because we're a holy priesthood, we offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, and Psalm 118, verse 22, says that the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 says, He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting that God in Isaiah says that this stone is going to cause some people to stumble? Why would that happen? I mean, God loves everyone. Why would God want people to stumble? I don't believe God wants people to stumble. I believe God wants people to begin to think, God, what do I got to do to get closer to you? I believe that's the purpose of that. <coughs> Hallelujah. Interesting, I was reading a commentary. It says, the houses of worship for Christians are not called temples. Well, they're not supposed to be anyway. Because the temple is where sacrifices were made. Physical sacrifices. But there's no longer any physical sacrifices other than that us presenting ourselves, uh, offering spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices, not physical sacrifices to God. We're being built up. Anybody remember that movie, The Blob? Science fiction movie back in the 50s with Steve McQueen. This thing lands and, and the blob gets on somebody and it eats them up and that person becomes the blob. And the more people it eats, the bigger it gets. But the blob is able to sneak through the cracks and under the doors. So when people are missing their, from their place in church in the, in the building, the blob, the enemy can get in. We don't want the enemy in here. Can you say amen? amen. And he's not as strong and as, as powerful as people make him out to be. He's a created being, so enough said about him. We don't want the blob around here. Can you say amen? Praise God. So he's talking about when he says that we're holy priesthood, remember, we are holy. Because we're that holy priesthood, this confers a dignity on you and I that the world cannot give. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, in, verse, in light of everything that's up to chapter 12, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our home is not here on earth. In chapter 13 and verse 15 of Hebrews, let us... By him continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name or confessing his name. When you tell somebody about Jesus, you are giving praise to God. When you tell somebody how God has touched your life, you're giving thanks and praise to God. The fruit of your lips. When you pray and you, instead of just saying, God, I need this, this, and this, try praying, God, thank you for this, this, and this, even though you may not see it yet. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in God, it says in Psalm 4, verse 5. Hosea chapter 14, verse 2 says, Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, Take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. That's why we sing worship songs in the beginning of the service. That's why when the music stops, we applaud. We're not applauding the musicians. We're applauding God. We're applauding Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus. Next time, worship a little longer. 
Give God a little more praise. Can you say amen? Psalm 50 verse 14 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. How many like to be appreciated? I've been reading uh, some leadership stuff and, and people like to be recognized. So, okay, we're going we're gonna to have a presentation. This person did all this. We're going to honor them. People like that. God loves that. Look what God did for me. Look what Jesus has done for me. He set me free from this, this, and this. We give God the sacrifice of praise. Continually, it says. Hallelujah. So we will go to verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, or it says, Behold. So this is God talking. God says, Behold. This is God saying, Should me, let me have your attention. I have an announcement to make. That's what it means when it says, Behold. God is speaking directly and says, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. This is a paraphrase from Isaiah. But not only is it saying, I am laying, what it really means is, I already did it. It's done deal. Guess what? You can start working now. Hallelujah. In one translation it says, whoever believes or trusts in Him will not make haste. In other words, when something's going on in your life and you need God to touch you, don't just run off and do the first thing you think of. Don't give up your hope on Jesus. Keep on hoping. Keep on trusting. Because God has a destiny. Today is November 10th. 2019, on November 10th in the year 1543, no, 1453, Martin Luther was born in Germany. A little baby. This man changed the course of history. He got saved. He began to struggle. He wrote in his own journal, I hated, I hated God. He says I, he couldn't get his head around the, the fact that God is righteous and he has his own righteousness and that what we do on our own apart from God's righteousness is not good enough. He was a monk. He was thought he was serving God. They, they, they told him he should. He eventually became a, got a doctorate in theology and he wasn't even saved yet. And he said, and he wrote, I hated God until I began to understand the grace of God. We're justified by faith. We're made right with God simply by trusting Jesus. Sacrifice. That God did it for us. We couldn't do it on our own. Praise God. Luke chapter 2, verse 34 talks about another baby who changed the course of history. Simeon sees God had spoken to Simeon, says you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And the Bible says by the Holy Spirit, he came into the temple in Jerusalem when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus on the eighth day to be circumcised. And he takes him up. He says, now I can depart in peace because I've seen the salvation of Israel. And listen to what he says to Mary. Behold, there's another godly announcement. Behold. This child is destined for the fall and rising. Can I thank God that you can fall 
But God promises you can also rise. Can you say amen? This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Another child that changed the course of history. In Luke chapter 20, verse 18, and also Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, Jesus is talking about Himself being the chief cornerstone. Quoting Isaiah, He says, and Jesus says, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. I don't know about you, but I do not want God, well, maybe I do if it works out for my good because whoever falls on that stone it will be broken Psalm 51 says the sacrifices are acceptable to God are a broken spirit a humble and a contrite heart he will not reject hallelujah that's good news can you say amen what does it say in Daniel when it talks about uh, the, um, the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar saw that uh, a rock came out of nowhere and it smote the statue and ground it to powder and all the powder disappeared. It got blown away and that rock filled everything as a mountain. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. There's some things that God needs to grind out of us. Can you say amen? Praise God like that list of vices at the beginning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Gives us honor. The stone that the builders rejected, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The honor is for you who believe. How many know that God honors us? God delights to honor you and I. If you'll make a stand for Jesus, tell other people about Jesus, just tell me you know God loves you. How do you know God loves you? Because Jesus died for your sins. That's how we know God loves us. That's God wants to honor us. John chapter 9, verse 39. Here's some of the honor that Jesus gives us. Jesus said, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. You ever read something in the Bible and you've read it before and you read it again and it's like, I never saw that before. That's because God honors us in part that way. That what we don't see, God opens our eyes and shows us. Hallelujah. God is not unrighteous to take vengeance. Can you say amen? That's His prerogative. But you are a chosen race. Say it with me. I am chosen by God. God chose you and I. Like I said the other day, we're not like the, the nerd on the, uh, at school who nobody wants on their team and it gets chosen last. God chose us. God chose you and I. Say, I am chosen. Hallelujah. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. Hallelujah. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You and I are holy. You and I have been chosen by God. As Hosea chapter 1, verse 10 is quoted in Romans chapter 9, verse 24 and 26. Those 
who are not my people, God says, I will call my people. You will be called children of the living God. You and I have been brought into relationship with God. The picture is of a family. Pictures of a building, a pictures of a holy nation. So that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Glory to God. God is good. Can you say amen? And then we will end with Verses 11 and 12. And these are some of the duties that we have now. Beloved. We are beloved. Beloved by God. Just amazing. Just amazing. He says, I urge you, or I'm encouraging you, as sojourners, this world is not our home. This world is not our home. No matter what it looks like, it's not our home. We are resident aliens on the earth. Really? Not like aliens from outer space, but like strangers. There's a, uh, a, a first century Jewish philosopher who lived in Alexandria named Philo. And he says that we are actually, in a sense, strangers in our bodies because these bodies are only temporary. Isn't that good news? The body is only temporary. It doesn't last very long. Maybe a hundred years if you're lucky. <laughs> the first person to get a social security check uh, lived to be a hundred years old. <laughs> she paid $21 in uh, social security taxes and she got back like 21000 She lived to be a hundred. But there was an end to her life. The same for you and I. Unless Jesus comes back soon, we are going, this body is going to wear and expire. Praise God. But we have the hope of eternal life because what's inside of us is what stays alive. Once you depart from the body, get to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our real citizenship is in heaven. We are resident aliens because heaven is our home. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So, because we are resident aliens, exiles from heaven while we're here on earth, although the kingdom of heaven is among us, and we can taste and see that God is good, we're to abstain from the passions or desires of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to be friendly, but we're supposed to be more inclined towards the things of God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. <clears throat> so, salvation is a privilege that God has bestowed on us. We're supposed to, and these passions are that list of things at the beginning of the chapter. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or unbelievers honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. I was reading an interesting article here in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. There's these two guys. I'll read this real quickly. On February 13th of this year, 
Two Indonesian men were arrested on blasphemy charges after distributing Christian literature. There are over 30 million Christians in Indonesia, but Indonesia is the most populous Muslim nation in the world. It is not against the law to be a Christian there. The morning of their arrest, Andreas Sarno, 80 years old, he's out on the street preaching, witnessing, and his friend, Bintang Sirait, who's 73, left their homes about 7 a.m. as usual, spent a few hours distributing Christian booklets and sharing the gospel. At one point, they stopped at a coffee cart where they gave a booklet to the women, woman operating the cart. When the woman's son later saw the booklet and showed it to some Muslim friends, they became enraged at its contents, which included the testimony of a Muslim man who had come to Christ. Sometime later, a group of young thugs approached the two Christian men and began to beat the 80-year-old. When the police arrived, they took Andreas and Bintang into custody to question them about their activities. The men were detained for two days before being formally arrested. Then, in March of 2019, they were convicted of blasphemy and sentenced to eight months in prison. <laughs> Listen to what Andreas, the 80-year-old, says. He wishes he would have received a longer sentence. <laughs> so he could have more time to share the gospel with over 1,200 inmates at the prison. Oh, ah, glory to God. 80 years old, he gets beat up by a bunch of guys, and he wanted to spend more time in the prison. What a privilege to serve God with people like that. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> I, I love it. Hallelujah. So they're speaking evil of these guys. Speak evil of you and I because we don't do the things that the world does anymore. Hallelujah. But we keep our conduct among the unbelievers honorable. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you to make it to the food distribution uh, because that's one of the things we want to do uh, so that they can see our good deeds <clears throat> and glorify God on the day of visitation. God is going to send Jesus back someday and there's going to be a day of visitation and you don't want to be on the wrong side of salvation. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's close in prayer.